Hello and welcome to Moves and Tea. And more precisely, a very special after hours because we're interrupting our Quentin Town Tea on season for this episode where we're going to be covering the whole of Love, Death and Robots season 3 and another of our recaps of possibly our favourite show. It's certainly the show that we love to recap the most anyway. So, um, I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co host, Miss Kimlo. Hello. Love, Death and Robots season three, the most anticipated season that we've been eagerly awaiting after season two, which was released, what, that was way back in May last year. Um, so we've had to wait, wait, well, a whole year just to get another set of set of episodes for Love, Death and Robots uh, season three. And I have to ask, first of all, has the wait been worthwhile, Kim? I would say yes. I mean, so far, I think that season two is probably the weakest that we've had. But I mean, volume like season three kind of steps it up a little bit more. In in my opinion, obviously, I don't know, maybe because, you know, the last year was just, I wonder if the pandemic had a lot to do with it. Maybe that's why it's harder. It was harder to gather up some projects that were, I don't know, better quality, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a mixed bag last year. We had some that were really sort of sort of good and then others that felt a little short uh which mm. when you go about eight episodes to have like a really short one like all through the house um it it in a way it feels like you're kind of being cheated and i think the fact we were so spoiled with season one which had this huge stack of episodes and then when we get into seasons two and three the much smaller um eight episode blocks uh i mean you can scratch off the whole of the season in 20 minutes which is much uh, shows uh, just how short these episodes are but i think uh with this season we had some really interesting episodes and we're going to obviously go through them over the course of this episode and we'll obviously have warning in advance uh there will be some spoilers there may also be some crazy noises in the background because my smallest child has decided he's going to be awake at these crazy hours so enjoy that but kicking things off, we had the return of Free Robots with Free Robots Exit Strategies, uh, directed by Patrick Osborne. Obviously, the Free Robots appeared way back in Volume 1, and for many people were a real highlight. So as soon as I saw the Free Robots appear in the trailer, I knew that this was going to be like a real sort of standout episode of the season. And frankly, it didn't disappoint, um, as this time they go looking at uh, what different... Um, parts of humanity chose to do for their final sort of uh, last yeah, episode, episode of avoiding the apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, three, three Robots was a great way to start season one as well. I mean, although season one, not everybody started with Three Robots. <laughs> if you, if, if uh, some people remember, season one was kind of like there were kind of three setups that you could get, and I know that some people didn't get Three Robots first, but I did. Um, like a winning edge so and it was like <laughs> and then free robots was the second one so um it was weird i think it went off your what you've been watching so they i don't think they tried anything as fancy with the previous the the two seasons which followed but um no free robots uh was my second episode that i got the original block so three robots is really nice because it, it's such a fun way to start the season uh it, it, it there's a decent amount of humor and a lot of like poking fun at kind of like just society and humanity in general when hit with, say, the apocalypse and things like that. 
Uh, and and it was just you know you, you watch it and it it's it's just hilarious and then of course it's always great that they ended up on such a great note which kind of like called back to a joke that they made at the beginning and it was just a lot of fun it was like a nice way to get you into this this you know love death and robot type of dose <laughs> oh definitely so and I love these three characters are just so great just the world view of like how they view this post-apocalyptic world because obviously in this world the robots have won the robot uprising um humanity has been wiped off the face of the earth or has it we certainly have that answer answer by the end of the uh, episode certainly and they start off with obviously the survivalists who <laughs> you see their little encampment and it's sort of like well why did this fail and it's sort of like oh we got a blood trap <laughs> Just these three robots arguing over like the meaning of a spike trap, and then they go out to the oil rig and they see what like the tech billionaires did, and it was sort of like, oh yeah, they abused the AI, so that's why they got they all died. And then it was like, and then we said, sort of, what about the world leaders? And it seems they turned to cannibalism. So it's uh, got that wonderful blend of like really dark humor um, to this episode, and you got these three robot characters whose worldview is so kind of innocent um and just uh the fact they're constantly amazed by everything and just like trying to figure out how humanity managed to fail in these in each of these different uh sort of setups so (laughs) yeah it's a it's a really clever way to to look at the world i think there's there's so much to love and enjoy about this all all of them and it's not anything you know it's nothing too deep or anything and it's it's a really nice way to edge you in because as we go along there are some i i think like uh shorts with a lot more uh i guess a lot more concept and a lot more kind of setup to to what they're trying to do and a bit more depth to the, depth to the story themselves. Yeah, I mean, Love, Death and Robots, I mean, the great thing about the anthology format is the fact that any director in the series can do essentially anything they want. It's a very flexible format, and certainly we see this over the course of the three seasons, that pretty much any kind of story that anyone wants to tell, and certainly this is certainly the case for season three, um then people were more than seemingly just given the complete freedom to go off and do. And I mean, this was a project obviously originally inspired by Tim Miller and David Fincher wanting to remake Heavy Metal, which itself was a sci-fi fantasy anthology. And they've just, with Love, Death and Robots, they've just continued to take in this wonderful direction. And I think the Return of Free Robots, I think, was very welcome. If you're going to like pick up any of the stories, I'm so glad that they chose to do Free Robots again. Because all the other stories are very sort of self-contained, uh, but Free Robots, it was. There's just something about seeing those free characters again that just uh, never fails to make me happy. So I, I thought it was a great, great start to the season, like you said. So next up, we had Bad Traveling, directed by David Fincher, um, an episode which seems to be a favorite of a lot of people. It wasn't one of my personal favorites, but um, Kim, I think you rated it really highly. Yeah, I did. I mean, Bad Traveling was one of my favorites just because, um, I mean, you know, I it, it seems like such a cop-out because it's like, it kind of makes sense that it's the top because you do have David Fincher at the helm. And we did do an entire Fincher season, so we all know how much, you know, if you listen to that season, you all know how much I like this uh, this director in general. Um, 
But I just thought that traveling was one of those, you know, it had that kind of creature creature feature type of element. And uh, to me, that was a lot of fun. I, I really like shows that are very like, um, I, I think that it's very underused, the whole, uh, you know, uh, the ship type of setting and then the the creature feature element. And, you know, we've talked about it when we were, when, uh, when we, well, you know, it's not yet, but <laughs> we do talk about it later on um, when we start talking about movies like Deep Rising and, and other creature features where it, it is just so underused sometimes. And to set it in this type of comic-y type of world, it it feels like I the whole setting itself comes to life. And, and I think that that's really the point that I really like about this whole thing, because it's not only about that, but it's also about this one person who's also testing out his entire crew on their views and humanities and kind of it has this type of like fun little twist to it at the end yeah definitely i mean this is a story where a giant crab called uh thanapod launches itself onto a ship this is i would say i'm trying to place um, the period it's kind of like pirate times yeah uh not to be too vague but um basically while the crew um, are battling it falls into the hold and one of the crew members strikes up a deal with it where it's going to give it passage to this island called uh, Faladin Island and over the course of the journey being the being the only crew member with a gun has to deal with the other crew members who have got their own ideas of uh, how they should be handling the situation um, better still the crab can talk by using the bodies of dead crew members to uh, psychically <laughs> communicate. But uh, as you said, it's horror on a boat. It's uh, always a welcome theme, to say the least. And something that... Well, um, I mean, and, and you do have, you know, to, to, to add to that, you, you do have a really great, you know, like, just, just, in, just in terms of, like, voice cast, you do have Troy Baker also, which is kind of like a favorite <laughs> to choose. If you're going to find, you know, like, the top-line voice, voice actor, he's definitely... You know, top choice. So it also adds to to the quality of the 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 short in general. Yeah, we also have Jason Fleming amongst the crew as well. Yeah, and I mean, Elodie Young was also in one of the shorts in season two, I believe. So it's uh, it's um, it's nice. It's fun. <laughs> Next up, we had probably the, the most abstract episode of the season with the very pulse of the machine, which is directed by Emily Dean. Um, this one sees a pair of astronauts who are left alone on the surface of uh, this planet called Io after they suffer an accident that causes one of them to die and the other one is faced with dragging her body across the surface of this planet to uh, get to an escape pod. However, en route she starts to believe that her dead partner that she's carrying behind it is trying to communicate with her and it descends into a question of whether her partner is communicating her from beyond the grave or is it the result of her injuries um, as uh, she makes her way across the surface of the planet to the escape pod this was um, as I said this is the more artsy and abstract one um, I think a lot of people have rated it a little lower than that because when you look at the other episodes this season they're a lot more sort of action packed they're a lot more sort of straightforward and this one as I say it's very up in the air in terms of how, what's going on exactly with it but it does um, 
like all these uh, shorts, is stunningly animated, and mm. it's it's fun that it's included because it just shows that we're not just going to dumb things down. We're going to throw in a couple of ones which will make you think amongst the the fun ones or the really action packed ones. So uh, to that aspect, I I enjoyed it, uh, even though I'm still not overly sure what's supposed to be going on. Very Pulse of the Machine, I believe I rated it probably last on my list. It's not to say that it's bad. I think it's just to say that it's a little bit slower in pacing. Um, it's a little bit more toned down in the whole element. And it focuses a lot on this. Like you said, it's abstract. It's it's about hallucinations and whether things are real or not. Um, and this whole communication that she has about like how do you believe whether, you know, this moon is actually... Uh, is actually alive or you know <laughs> like it, it it's a very abstract ending a very abstract course of action and then you you kind of have to I don't know it's, it's it's a little bit harder to understand the point of it but I think that if you were to say like what keeps it really really good is is I really think that the style here the the art style itself is of the animation and the drawings are really really unique to to itself like no i don't think they've ever had any other ones like definitely we've seen um video games with this type of animation this type of course of animation but um the style of animation but uh, basically for this one i i don't think like we've ever had another one that was very so much like i don't know like drawing i guess like it has a drawing element yeah it's to like it. rotoscope uh, this one is which if you've seen things like a scanner darkly or um, Ralph Bakshi's yeah. Lord of the Rings. Um, it's a style basically where you shoot live footage and then you animate over the top of it. Um, mm. Certainly that's one way of obviously achieving this effect and it certainly seems to be the effect that they've gone for with uh, this one here as well. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's in many ways it reminds me a lot of Fish Night from season one, It was which was again its own little abstract tale of the two salesmen yeah. in the desert. And there's so many, there's various elements of this you can look at, and it's all like, well, is the planet talking to her? Is it the fact that she's constantly having to administer all these different painkillers, which are causing her to hallucinate? Um, there's many ways you can sort of look at this this story, and certainly it doesn't give you any sort of hard or fast answers as to what exactly is going on, and it still leaves it up to the viewer to decide for themselves. But I've, as I said, it's. Um, it's not not the top of my list, same as like yourself, but um, I enjoyed it nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of winning points to it. Um, but I mean, like if we if we talk about great, I feel like it's, there's not too much to talk about for this one. <laughs> so if we move on, I think the next one is when we talk about Night of the yes. Mini Dead, and that one is that one is a short but super fun ride i think <laughs> yes yeah, night of the mini dead uh directed by robert Bissy and andy leon uh this is probably one of my favorite shorts of the whole thing just because it's so nuts you we've obviously had many people before on the uh love death of roberts we had the little mini empire that was living in the uh the broken freezer freezer uh yeah obviously uh in the, the dessert as well so but um, here we get to see a full-scale zombie apocalypse, but in miniature. As a pair of horny teenagers bring about a zombie apocalypse. Uh, and when I 
when it first comes on, you see these characters driving up to the grave uh, site, and I was like, "Oh, we're just going to do like Night of the Living Dead, but in miniature." And then it just goes in its own completely bonkers direction, um, including graphic mini sex. Uh, so, <laughs> bring into mind like when you go to the wrestling and you sit up in the nosebleeds, and it's sort of like, "Oh, great! It's like watching a pair of fleas fuck." And it's like, "Well, guess we have now actually seen that now." So, <laughs> but it's how it keeps stacking one thing onto the next, and it's sort of like. You see, like, the small group of zombies, and then you see them take over cities, and it's a huge mass of zombies. And because it's all miniature, and you've got the little twee voices and stuff, it's just really incredibly funny. The same way as that when they suddenly get contaminated with nuclear waste and become giant zombies. And we get go to the um, the president of the United States, to the America, and it's sort of like, oh, we're just nuke them, and you see all these little nukes fly up, and uh, we zoom out to see the earth and uh, of course it's in miniature so the big explosion is just a little fart um, which I have to say made me laugh more than it probably should have but yeah, Night of the Mini Dead I just had so much fun with I think if I was going to show anyone like a Love, Death and Robot episode and I didn't have like free robots I would show them Night of the Mini Dead and go you know this is kind of what it's about <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean Night of the Mini Dead is, is really there's nothing too deep about the whole thing but it is just a massive amount of fun because it, it just keeps going it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and worse and worse and worse and you just see like humanity falling apart in the quickest way possible across the world and into the universe obviously <laughs> so it's it's really really it, it's really quite unique and it's hard to say because like usually i think this stuff is is very very weird but I mean, after the very toned down version episode before it, like Night of the Mini Dead comes in and it, it really kind of just sweeps you away in this fun little entertaining, kind of lifts up the mood again and gets you ready for the second half of the season, basically. Yeah, it's kind of like a real sort of palate cleanser, isn't it? It's sort of like you have yeah something that makes you uh, think like they pulls the machine and then it's like, oh, now we have Night of the Mini Dead, which is just one of the more bonkers entries in this season. Um, and then we have Kill Team <laughs> Kill, Team Kill uh, which just sort of kicks up a whole other notch. Uh, this was directed by Jennifer U. Neeson, um, who you probably best remember for directing Kung Fu Panda 2 and 3. And now she's uh, she was brought on as a supervising producer for Love, Death and Robots Season 2. And she's obviously back in the season as well. But Kill Tim Kill uh, reminds me a lot of reading 2008 as a kid. It just taps into that ultra-violent comics aesthetic. As you have a team of Green Berets who find themselves going up against a cybernetically enhanced grizzly bear. Um, in a... <laughs> episode that has more firepower, swearing, and violence than I think the whole season combined. Um, while also featuring the uh, voice talents of Joe McHale, Seth Green, and Gabriel Luna. <laughs> you know, I you know, I watch Kill Team Kill, and it's, it's probably because we've been working together for so long that I know this is kind of a winner in your head just because of the fact that it has some type of, like, morphed oh, bear. Yeah, for some reason, bears <laughs> seem to be like a reoccurring theme within our projects. It's sort of like, they, they just constantly keep appearing in one form or another. 
Um, yeah, and 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 it's and it's really and it's really fun because it, it this one really really embraces that whole like the government secretly making all these um, I guess some type of bio weapon sort of thing or genetically modified weapons or whatever, and they end up coming back to to get you basically. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's sort of like it really sees goes to the idea of like how much overkill is too much overkill, and it's like we have this insane weapon which it's it's first of all it's a bear that's indestructible that has like razor sharp claws and all these other megismos on it, and then we have it go up against a bunch of soldiers who are just armed to the teeth, like just logic is completely out the window, and every other word is like fuck or die motherfucker or. <laughs> <laughs> it's just people screaming and shouting and blowing stuff up and yeah it's exhausting but it's uh again it's just stupidly fun at the same time um so yeah yeah i i would i would agree with it because i think like to me the whole thing was kind of a blur <laughs> it was kind of like okay we started and then we ended and felt very like on one line of what was going on but at the same time, like, you can't fault someone for having that type of imagination to have, you know, this kind of crazy bear that's made that you can't take down. And then they have to do the impossible and take it down in order to survive. So. Oh, yeah. And it's it, it just gets more and more stupid as it goes on. Um, and, yes, it this is the great thing about doing something animated is that you can go completely off the walls crazy with something you want to have a giant robot bear that's like killing people and causing like horrific injuries and huge geysers of blood you can do that because it doesn't cost hardly anything to animate it if you do it in real life it costs you a fortune and it won't ever come out as good as it will do him but um no kill Tim kill is just a real fun um sort of throwback to like 80s action cinema like just like ultra violent comic books of like the 80s and early 90s especially especially and so and as i said for someone who read like 2000 ad and it was all sort of this little like guns and muscles and violence aesthetic that they sort of ran with they were sort of like the anti-marvel in that way and you had things like durham red and rogue trooper that sort of that this really reminded me of so um made me kind of want to go back and dig into all my old comics now but uh yeah another highlight there would kill him kill then it was time to put our thinking cats back on for swarm directed by tim miller um this one you actually rated higher than i did kim so i was very interested to see what it was it, about it, this one you know i've been actually like after i released my own review of of the and the rankings for for the episodes um i started looking at what other people thought and a lot of people had trouble with this one and i don't know why because i thought the quality of it because i like this one right at the beginning and right from the start i thought the premise was fantastic because i guess i'm a sucker for world building yeah <laughs> So anything that I watch and right away I feel like it's this completely new world with all these um, with all these different uh, and it's it's a world with of an alien system basically and alien organism ecosystem whatever you want to call it and the whole idea of humanity trying to take 
and exploit this type of system in order to rebuild themselves. I think that these two ideas together is so great because one, it talks not only about humanity, but it also talks about, it also has this beautiful world building of all these different types of animals and stuff. It, it's almost like when we talk about um, Miyazaki's Nausicaa, where there's this whole world of of just these organisms that exist, these uh, these insects and whatnot that inhabit this world. And it has this, this I, I just think it's really great because they bring in so much science and so much um, puts everything together. And, and I don't know, I, I just thought it was such a, I was just really impressed by the extent of the world that they were able to build and showcase in, in those 17 minutes of this short. Yeah, I mean, Swarm is definitely a very interesting one. It's very, it falls more into like the Twilight Zone Outer Limits style of storytelling where humanity stumbles across something and then tries to exploit it only for it to ultimately bite them in the ass. Um, and certainly this is very much the case with Swarm, as you said. It's humanity going, in in this case, uh, this uh, scientist called Simon, who's sent to... Um, examine this sort of like alien ecosystem known only as the swarm and he's trying to fight, figure out it's inner workings and as you said already trying to find out how they can exploit it for humanity's purposes um, and ultimately finds out that the swarm has been around thousands of years because it's constantly found a way to evolve and basically um absorb anything that came after it and reduces it uh, down to just like symbiotic species within itself um so yeah it's it is very it's a very interesting sort of concept and certainly has a real sort of sting in the tail for this one um probably some of the most gory scenes that we got as well at the end of this one so i have to say i was a little creeped out <laughs> well i think swarm is also i don't know i mean i always I always go into shorts thinking about um, not exactly of this kind of one, not a, like, I think people you, people go into shorts with two mindsets. One is that it's a closed type of story, little tale that you tell. Um, and the other way to look at it is whether in concept this is something that could be not only working for what it is now, but also such a great concept for something that's bigger. And for Swarm, it's definitely the latter. And that's why I also liked it because I felt like it was a story that you could really like, I would really be interested if say not maybe, maybe Tim Miller is too busy to do it, but I mean, someone could come in and, and kind of take this type of script and kind of expand it into something that's full length and give this world even more life, you know, like what happened before, what happened after, you know, and, and really have this type of fun little animated film that that has a lot of uh has not only great world building but also this entire world about humanity and and this this whole swarm concept and really expand on that and that would be such a nice premise in general yeah definitely i think there's room that you could obviously do this as a, a full-length feature certainly and even as a short it still works extremely well um yeah it also provides the the graphic sex portion of the, <laughs> the series. Uh, <laughs> we also uh, get voice work from Rosario Dawson, which is always welcome. So, yeah. But um, 
Yeah, I think it was when it got to the end and it's sort of like, you see this? This was once the the species that made the universe quake, and now it's just reduced to eating vomit. <laughs> and then you sort of like realize it's like, oh no, this is something we're like, not the big fish that we thought we were in this pond. Um, although you have to admire the goal on, on Simon at the end when he's sort of like faced with the choice of like, what direction is going to go for humanity that he still thinks he can beat this thing. Next up, another of my personal favourites, Mason's Rats, which in a future version of Scotland, uh, the rats have got into the GMT and suddenly become super smart as they decide to rage their own war against uh, the farmer who brings in ever more ingenious uh, forms of anti-rat technology, um, leading to a mini-war raging in his barn. Um, as uh, both forces uh, vie for control over the farm. Mason's Rat is a really, really charming um, short film. It's got this great character in this uh, unnamed farmer who's got a real broad Scottish accent. Um, and one day he goes out to find that uh, the rats have become super smart. They've got like little crossbows and they've uh, taken up arms to defend the barn against him. Um, what follows is him bringing in ever more sort of advanced technology to deal with these uh, rats before sort of ultimately finding that uh, he shares a common ground with uh, the rats. But there's so this one, the beauty of this one is in the little details, especially when it comes to the rats. Um, there's a scene towards the end of this where they're like in a full scale war against this robot scorpion that he's brought in to deal with them, and it's. <laughs> I would be. I'd say it's probably one of the most dramatic action scenes I've seen all year. Just watching uh, this little rat driver, little mini tank towards this uh, robot scorpion in like a real sort of her last um, sort of like suicide run uh, type maneuver. It was just charming throughout, and it's absolutely fantastically animated as well. Um, but you see little details like the little rat giving his thumbs up or. Um, when he's like piling yeah. up the bodies of the dead rats and he like just guns one down to just a head and then tosses it on this bloody pile. It's so many great little details in this one. Yeah, and Amazing Rats is a is is one that I had a really hard time placing because I I thought it was so much fun and I mean even when you go down to not even just the scenes itself, but like the the design of the rats and their little outfits that they're wearing to, to go at war and and the whole like idea of rats overrunning your barn being this big issue. And it comes all to this kind of great ending where it, it's this twist of, oh, well, you know what? <laughs> enough is enough type of thing. <laughs> and I think that that's just, it's, it, it's, it's so, it's so nice because I think the revelation of the whole thing is, is pretty good about like how they chose to end this because obviously you can end it in a much different way. Um, but it, it, it's one that I, I think it's, it's, it's a lot of fun because you, you add a lot of the death element and the robots element. I think it's one of the few where we're having multiple, uh, elements of the love, death and robots that we're talking about, uh, since, since the beginning obviously yeah and it's I think there's something about the ending where it's just like the fact that the rats have been brewing their own uh, whiskey and you just have a little, <laughs> little sh and he's uh, drinking out of a little shotgun cartridge I thought it was just kind of charming and he just goes oh that's real good 
Um, so yeah, it was sort of like it does this idea that you know that ultimately it's sort of like uh, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, as Gandhi once put. Yeah, and pretty much. And and I mean, we do have some really great voice talent. There is essentially like two credited ca- voice casts here, <laughs> since the rats don't really say no. anything; they just kind of motion. Um, yeah, but I mean, you have Craig Ferguson and Ferguson and uh, Dan Stevens who does the voice acting, which which is pretty, which is a pretty solid cast. I mean, I think probably one of the more known groups <laughs> in in these shorts, at least. Well, I mean, the next one in Vaulted Halls Entombed uh, features Joe uh, Manchinello. Well, Manchinello, there's Jay Courtney, Christian Serratos. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure the guys over at Simplicity Reviews are real stoked Jay Courtney was in there. <laughs> even me, I didn't know he was part of it, but I mean, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Jay Courtney. He's, uh, he, he has bad movie, he has bad movie choices. <laughs> yeah, all he had to do this time was just turn up and read. <laughs> didn't have to act he just had to sit there and read so it's uh i think that's why it comes off so well so but uh no in vaulted holes entombed um sees a marsoc team sent to rescue hostages from um a team of insurgents following them deep into mountain tunnels only to find out there's something much darker in the tunnels uh this one's fun it's really really fun and it features some real photorealistic animation uh, if you wanted to see Call of Duty meets Cthulhu, this is the one for you. As um, as they go uh, deeper in the tunnel, they encounter little minions of uh, this greater god that is uh, hiding in the middle of the tombs, wishing to be released. And uh, if you know your greater gods, you would notice by the look of the shape of the head and the uh, tentacle-like uh, tendrils of it, that it is actually Cthulhu. Even though it does never get mentioned in name. So that was a fun little uh, nod to all the HP Lovecraft fans. <laughs> and it's also the second time he sneaked in something. Because he was in Underwater as well. Right. Which is why, why it dawned on me at the end. Because all the little trademarks from Underwater are basically the same here. But obviously this time it's in a cave. So, But uh, what it does it ties in. Because I mean, Cthulhu is uh, the unspeakable terror. And uh, that's what essentially what we we get uh, with the very sort of abstract sort of ending that we get here with uh, the lone survivor sort of staggering out, um, having taken extreme measures to escape these uh, tombs. Though how it, it again it begs the question: is sort of like whenever you see someone like um, okay, spoiler alert, who's uh, clawed their eyes out, how do they always manage to find their way out of like a cave system or a tunnel system? that they couldn't find the way out when they could see where they were going. <laughs> I don't know. That, that's something I don't know how to answer. I mean, maybe they, they their hearing senses got suddenly heightened in 10 seconds. I don't know. They turned into Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is probably one of the second most least plausible things I've seen this week, because I also watched The Cave, so... Yes, I mean Kim, what do you think of uh, this one though? I mean, I think it's I think it's good. I think the thing is that I feel like <laughs> I recently I recently played um, was it the House of Ashes for uh, Dark Pictures Anthology, and oh, yeah. I had very very fam- similar feelings, <laughs> and that was <laughs> a much 
like stronger type of involvement in the game in that game than I felt towards this one. So as the days went by, I actually don't remember a lot of it, <laughs> other than the whole deity at the end and this whole Cthulhu thing. And um, it's it it might actually you know like it's not one I ranked very high, um, and it actually kept dropping on my list as I started ranking it. <laughs> Because I was starting thinking about it and I was like, oh, I don't know. How do I feel about it? I think it's good. It's fun time. But I don't know. <laughs> I think for this one, it's more character driven in the sense that, you know, you're, you have these type of creature feature type of element to it. But it also is about these different, you know, this really strong type of voice cast, which is working through all these all these situations to kind of um, rescue the hostage, you know. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a almost like an SG one adventure yeah. that you're watching. This obviously in in seven minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I enjoyed it enough. It's not um, the worst thing I've seen on Love, Death, and Robots. Certainly. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I mean, the ending is is one that's uh, rather shocking. I think because it it also does a pretty nice twist to that type of ending. Um, and I think that was that that kind of lifted it up a little bit because it it, it really. It really like once you think about the ending itself, it actually makes it a lot more creepy, I guess, in, in the sense of the whole setting itself. Yeah, definitely, and the idea that you know your mind's being controlled by this this elder god who's uh, got shows you visions of uh, the chaos and death he's going to rain down on humanity, and that the only way to escape it and to stop it invade your mind is to essentially cut your eyes out. So. <laughs> Um, or maybe it's just the terror of what she sees. It's again, it's all very open ended. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's some fun, there's some fun action beats there. You get to see people turned into mush, <laughs> which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a you get some good additions to the ketchup factory list there. So. Yeah, I mean, but I think like when we talk about weird stuff. I mean, the last one, Jabaro, is the weirdest one in the entire season. Um, arguably the weirdest one in all three seasons, uh, where everything is very, very abstract. It's almost no dialogue. Um, it's basically expression and dance. It's very, very different from anything we've seen so far. Oh yeah, definitely. So, I mean, this was directed by Alberto uh, Miligo, who directed The Witness way back in the first volume of uh, Love, Death and Robots, um, which was a very, again, a very diverse episode. And he's back at it again this time. Uh, this time we're in Puerto Rico as a group of conquistadors are traveling through the jungle with uh, priests, only to cover across a mysterious woman who's draped in gold and jewels emerging from a nearby lake and whose siren song drives men crazy. Um, the only twist here is that one of the conquistadors is deaf, so he can't hear her, um, leading to an unusual showdown between these uh, between these two as she's her power is she's completely powerless and it gets very weird beyond that um, I'm still not 100% sure that I understand exactly everything that was going on here um, so I would really love someone to like come and explain it to me because there's 
this it starts off i was following it fine and then it, i kind of lost it when it like we started end up with like rivers of blood and <laughs> him suddenly getting his hearing back so yeah i i mean the the concept i i believe at least my interpretation since i did rate jabaro very in the center and that was because i thought it was so weird that it was mesmerizing <laughs> and i just i just love this whole like new take on myths and play on that and i think that that has to do with the whole thing and um also a really great one where i think deserves a full-length type of film or something like that to really give it some context um but no i mean the understanding behind it is i mean at the end it's i think it's just because she is a mythical creature of the of nature of some sort and when something happens like that it changes into this i don't know this water this bloody water that chases the person who's 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 taken her type of thing who's taken her life as some type of revenge and at the end he gains he when he drinks the water he regains his hearing so when he regains his hearing now he's not vulnerable now he's vulnerable to to this woman who realizes who wakes up and you know from this unconsciousness and realizes that everything is stripped from her now and it's kind of her way of having revenge on him yeah i mean it was a little dark i mean he obviously knocks her unconscious and steals all her all her gold and jewelry um which reminded me of the drowned giant from last season um this idea that again we can't have nice things <laughs> um and that this this uh night's sort of pure greed would uh, ultimately become his uh his downfall really because um, she returns his, he ret- returns his uh, hearing. We had that great scene where he's, he gets his hearing back, and he's obviously so not used to hearing sound that it drives him nuts, like the sound of the uh, the rainforest and and everything that's uh, happening around him. And then his slow realization, then you realize, oh wait a minute, now he's vulnerable to this siren song again, uh, which obviously makes for a suitable payoff for his dastardly actions. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the you know the best way to 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 to, to look at Jabaro is that it's just very very unique. Like you have to be very open minded going into this one because it's it's very very different from I think even any other animated animation that has been. I mean, I don't know if anybody else has done something like this, but uh, but to me, I feel like it was just so unique. The whole idea, this whole myth that they created and. Um, I hope they created it, or maybe it's like some myth that I've never heard about. So you know, if if it is, then you know, I'm sorry, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> but but it, it it's it's just you know this whole golden siren and 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 just her even her whole um, appearance. I think I remember this was like the the thumbnail for the trailer, and I didn't watch the trailer, and I looked at the thumbnail. I was like, oh, this looks so good, you know. So that also helped the fact that I, I was just so mesmerized by the whole outfit and the whole setup and the whole setting of this whole story. Yeah, it's um, it's a very engaging animated style, the same way that we saw with The Witness. And I mean, obviously the director's also worked as a production designer on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as well. And so when it comes to obviously doing like crazy things with animation he's sort of like a, a, a one of the go-to guys for it and i think here when we have we obviously talked about um 
in the previous one about the photorealistic animation and you see this and this is something else entirely it's just so beautiful to look at and just the jerky movements as to the way these characters move the detail the environment and certainly the animation and the expression of these characters faces is incredible and this is a as i said this is a short which has no dialogue at all everything as you you point out Kim is just communicated through dance and movement so um, and sometimes it's fun to put those sort of restrictions on yourself as a, a, a director mm-hmm. or a writer um, and, to see, and just finding out how you work around it and I think in this case it uh, more than pays off so definitely so obviously that was Love, Death and Robert Season 3. Um, currently there is no word on whether Season 4 is coming, but uh, currently a lot of people are positive that we will see a Season 4 at some point down the line. Hopefully now we're in sort of less interesting times that uh, it won't be such a delay. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, a year a season is, is not really a delay. It's kind of the norm. <laughs> well, the I mean, they split the season into two, didn't they? Um, so we had that's where we ended up with two and three. Um, that was that's because uh, originally it was going to be old season two, but they had to split it into two seasons because of the uh, pandemic putting delays on production. So, but you know, it paid off in the end. We ended up with, I think, a, a great uh, season to follow up from a. Uh, a season that struggled to uh, meet up for my expectations we had after season one. So I think it's um, it more than proves itself as like if, when in these times when Netflix is cancelling everything, um, that this would be like one show that you really hope that they hold on to. <laughs> well, it takes a lot to cancel David Fincher and Tim Miller. So <laughs> especially when especially when we have Netflix talking about you know, losing a bunch of subscribers, you're probably not going to want to get your top director that's affiliated with you to <laughs> out of the system, right? <laughs> it's true. It is true. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a, certainly excited to see what, uh, what else is to come from this, this series. I think this, as we saw this season, they're not short of ideas. Um, and certainly, it's it is a concept that's uh, got certainly got legs to go on a few more seasons at least. So, is there any sort of stories that you'd like to see them cover in future, Kim? I don't know. I think the you know creativity is you know the sky is the limit. <laughs> they constantly find something new that I never would have thought of. So I I'm interested to see what other you know, creatures or robots or whatever they can bring to life that, that, or, you know, just the, you know, different, an uh, alternate post-apocalyptic world or whatnot that they can create. Cause sometimes it's just really interesting to see what they can think of. You know, I don't have that creativity personally, but, um, obviously there's a lot of talent, talented people out there contributing some really nice stories. I would love to see, see more secret histories or alternate histories mm. that we've uh, obviously seen. We saw like uh, the Russian army versus the zombies and um, we also saw the um, the werewolves one which was really good as well and then we had that sort of alternate history of like what would happen if Hitler died. Yes, 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 yeah, that one was Which was just, which was um, <laughs> a completely different way of viewing it but no i think the alternate history ones are always fun and anytime you do anything with like cryptozoology is also fun as well so um yes 
Very excited for season four as and when they choose to make it, but hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, on that note, it brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Uh, you can follow you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So come say hi to us there. And you can check out our blog, which moves into podcast at wordpress.com, uh, where every Friday, we, myself and Kim both pick a film to highlight as part of our Friday Film Club. Sometimes it's a film theme, sometimes it's not. Even way, it's a chance for us to talk about more of the films that uh, we love. But next episode, we are back on track with our Quentin Tarantino season. But um, until then, thank you for listening. Thanks to my co-host, Kim. And uh, we will be back on our next episode, continuing our re-evaluation of the Quentin Tarantino filmography with Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2. So uh, make sure you join us for that. But until then, good night.